win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. There has never been anything like it. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and that, of course, was Donald Trump last night during the second presidential debate of 2016, threatening to jail his opponent after the election. This is the kind of thing we see in developing countries run by dictators who have sham elections and then, after they're done, jail their opponents or jail their opponent's supporters. And I think it sets the stage for the context of the entire debate. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like last night's debate. I don't know that anyone has ever seen anything like last night's debate. And I think that uh, given the insults, given the dodging, given the the lack of answers to asked questions, this will be something that people are talking about 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 years from now, almost like the Kennedy-Nixon debates, which are remembered not for the substance of what Richard Nixon and John Kennedy talked about, but for the fact that Richard Nixon just sort of seemed to melt down during the the debate, sweating and looking shifty. Those are the things that stood out in that debate. And in this debate, I think what stands out is Donald Trump's behavior, not his policies, not how his policies contrast with Hillary Clinton. We're going to talk all hour today about last night's debate. And of course, we want to hear from you. What did you think of that performance last night by Donald Trump? What did you think of Hillary Clinton's performance? How did she handle sort of standing opposite stage from somebody who was behaving the way Donald Trump was behaving last night? How did the moderators do? Much more aggressive questioning, also much more aggressive cabining of the candidates, telling them, listen, don't talk over each other. You only have two minutes. Uh, Your two minutes are up. We're going to move on. I thought they did a better job, in fact, than uh, Lester Holt did in the first debate. But I want to hear what you think about that. And also, what do you think about how this debate informs the decision you're making in November. I don't think it was very helpful from a substantive point of view, but maybe you do. Maybe you took something out of what was said last night and you will take it into the voting booth with you in just a few weeks. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. We're going to talk all hour about the debate and about American politics, what this debate says about American politics. Again, the number is 313-577-1019. And joining me to help dissect what happened on stage and on television last night are three people who are pretty familiar to our audience here. Jonathan Osting is a political reporter at the Detroit News. Sheikha Dalmia is a senior analyst at the Reason Foundation, a writer for Reason Magazine. And Lee Wilkins is professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. Guys, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, So let's talk about, first, Lee, put this debate in context. I, in the opening there, talked about Kennedy-Nixon, and I I actually think that's probably, for me, uh, the the, the strongest reference point to this, where uh, something other than what the candidates are saying, something other than what they believe, becomes the focal point. Even in, con- in comparison to Kennedy-Nixon, though, this was extraordinary. I mean, to, to watch a candidate essentially just melt down on television 
in one of the most critical moments in his campaign. It just, I mean, I, I, I have had a hard time in the last 12 hours coming up with words to describe it. Steve, you got one of the right words, which is watch. One of the things that the research about the Kennedy-Nixon debate shows is that it was the visual image, particularly of Richard Nixon, who just recently gotten out of the hospital with his first bout of phlebitis. And people responded to the visual image more than they did to the words that were said. Last night, there was a lot of visual imagery for people to dissect. Television as a medium is pretty unforgiving. And those images, particularly the split screen images, conveyed a lot of information for folks who were watching. I think that you're right. This debate is going to be around for a long, long time, in part because of the Internet. And it is distressing in some ways that people 50 years from now are going to be able to watch this debate and look at what many people believe, including me, is an absolute nadir in American public political discourse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and what, what set the stage for this, of course, was the tape that was leaked last Friday, I believe, uh, to the Washington Post of Donald Trump and, and Billy Bush, who at the time was the host of Access Hollywood, talking about women in a way that that I think anybody, no matter what your politics, uh, would listen to that and, and be deeply, deeply offended and disturbed at the prospect of you know, either of them in a, in a position of responsibility. I think that's also unusual. I can't think of another debate in history where an event just before the debate really frames it in a way that makes it unrecoverable almost for one of the candidates. It's the October surprise. It's the October surprise none of us were expecting. I think that many people listening to that tape were offended by it. But I've heard this morning and read this morning some people who basically say it's just locker room talk. It's how men behave. It's how women behave. So, again, this is one of those things where different people will take different things away from what is essentially the same message. Yeah. And, Stephen, talking yeah, about ahead, the Jonathan. theater of this debate, of course, and, and something coming out just before it, literally an hour before the debate started, Donald Trump held an impromptu press conference with uh, women who have accused Bill Clinton of sexual assault in the past and one who accused uh, someone else of rape who Hillary Clinton ended up defending as a young attorney. Um, this was... Uh, absurd theater uh, and uh, a clear indication that uh, Donald Trump was not going to take uh, this 2005 audio <coughs> lying down, that he was going to go on the attack. Um, and it's a, a sign of our times that somebody is able to uh, sort of shape the imagery of the debate before it even starts by doing this press conference on Facebook Live right. and going direct to uh, people instead of waiting for the debate to actually well, start. Well, and, and even in that response, I mean, there there is this sort of layer, this patina of uh, insanity and and bizarre behavior. The idea that the answer to the tape of Donald Trump talking the way he was about women is somehow something about Bill Clinton, who A, is not on the ticket because he's term limited out of the presidency, <laughs> uh, but B, uh, you know, the idea that this reflects on her somehow is, I think, a stretch that he's really asking people to make. Uh, that that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it, it, it's irrational. Well, it's a false equivalency. Certainly, he does. Some of these women do claim that Hillary Clinton 
uh, pressured them a little bit. In the case of Juanita Broderick, she says that three weeks after the alleged rape that she attended a fundraiser, uh, Hillary Clinton spoke to her, maybe grabbed her arm and said something like, we appreciate everything you do for Bill and I. Everything, you know what I mean. She interpreted that to be a threat, but on their face, those words do not sound extremely threatening. Yet Donald Trump, and 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 uh, in all due respect with Miss Broderick, she has uh, promoted this narrative that in fact Hillary Clinton was uh, part of hushing up women who may have been victims of Bill Clinton. Right. Yeah. Chica, tell me. Go ahead. Well, you know, to me, uh, watching Donald Trump's performance from before the debate began, as you pointed out, Jonathan, uh, and through the debate, you know, it just represented a middle finger to everybody who's not part of his core supporters. You know, he went completely Breitbart here, right? I mean, Breitbart is the (laughs) new site uh, that uh, speaks in dog whistles sometimes, but not even so much in dog whistles to this, you know, the alt-right crowd that uh, Hillary Clinton gave gave a whole speech about. Uh, He had been criticized uh, for his last debate performance for um, interrupting Hillary, for not trying to broaden his base, Uh, you know, not really reaching out to the various ethnic groups that he needs to reach out to, not reaching out to women. And he basically doubled down on it in the face of, uh, you know, what happened on Friday. He was told by his party that you've got to show contrition. Mike Pence said, you've got to show what's in your heart. Well, if this is, you know, nobody is really surprised what Donald uh, uh, Trump showed, uh, showed yesterday. But this, you know, this complete lack of uh, being able to reform himself. Yeah and uh, speak to the concerns about him, you know, just shows you a lot about where he is and a candidate. And I think he may have dominated the debate yesterday, but he didn't win the debate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea that he will turn on anybody yes, if he sees it to his advantage or if he senses disadvantage in, uh, in not addressing, uh, you know, somebody who's got a different uh, point of view than he does is really is really unique among politicians. Again, I've never seen a presidential candidate stand up during a debate and say, well, I didn't really talk to my vice presidential candidate about that. And I don't agree with him. I think he's wrong about that. That's not whatever he thinks. That's not the answer to that question. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, to me, I think that was payback to Pence, right? Because Pence had canceled his campaign events with Donald Trump over the weekend. And I think Donald Trump was angry about that. And this was his way of lashing out at Pence, as opposed to trying to, you know, finesse the policy issues with him. You know, the part of Trump's problem is that to some extent, what he's doing is kind of a, you know, weirdly... Uh, an honest strategy. I mean, he has, he doesn't understand the issues. He doesn't know the issues and he doesn't care to educate himself about the issues. So all he can do is go on the offense, go on the attack. And that's what he, you know, and that's what he constantly did yesterday. The problem with that is it plays well with his very, very core supporters, but he loses everybody else. And I don't think he did anything yesterday that would allow him to, you know, reach out as he well, needs to do. Well, his biggest problem now, obviously, is with women, right? Right. Uh, the, the, the tape uh, makes it clear that that to any woman, I would think, uh, who is voting, that, that this is somebody who thinks of you not as a... 
uh, as an equal human being, uh, really. I mean, it, it, the, the idea that this was locker room talk, I think, is a real right. uh, whitewashing of, of, of the issue. I mean, this was somebody embracing, wrapping his arms around the idea of sexual assault, right. which no women, I think, uh, think is okay. And, and it, you know, he needed during the debate to be able to push back against that somehow and to show women that he's not a predator. I don't. I don't know that I saw anything last last night that suggested no. that. Well, Stephen, you didn't hear Donald Trump say he'd be the best with women. <laughs> I did. You said it I a couple did. times. He did. He's, he's yeah, nobody respects women more than me. Let me yes. tell you. Right. Right. Let me tell you about that. Right. Um, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Jonathan Osting, a political reporter with the Detroit News, Chica Dalmia, senior analyst at the Reason Foundation, writer for Reason Magazine, and Lee Wilkins, professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. We're talking about last night's number two debate in the presidential contest for 2016, Donald Trump on a full meltdown uh, on camera, maybe analogous to Richard Nixon in 1960, maybe worse. Maybe they will be talking about this forever. Maybe this will be a case study uh, in political science classes and communications classes for for years or decades to come. Uh, we want to know what you think about about last night's debate. What do you think about what Donald Trump said and did? Had you seen anything quite like this before? Uh, and certainly I want to hear from you if you are a Donald Trump supporter and nothing that's happened since Friday has has changed your mind that, that you're still in his camp. You think maybe he did well last night. Uh, you think he answered the criticisms. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. It's 313-577-1019. Also, we want to talk about what is the what are the implications for this kind of debate uh, for American politics going forward? This has been an extraordinary campaign. Lots of unexpected and unusual things have happened that I think will change politics going forward. Certainly, this debate is another data point on uh, on that line. Uh, but what do you think about that? What do you think about uh, where we're headed in this country with politics and discourse? Uh, let's go to Larry. Larry in Sterling Heights. Welcome to Detroit Today, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Hey, how um, are you? I had a, I had a couple of uh, points I wanted to touch on. The, the irony for me is that um, the, the roots of, of this kind of division and this kind of uh, nastiness in the debate really goes back to Bill Clinton and uh, George, uh, George Bush Sr., where you had, you had the famous James Carville really running the communications message and really took it, it was the first time we saw the old school politicians are nice to each other, to Carville made everything into a full frontal attack. And that, that became the new tone for every election after that. And things have just gotten nastier and nastier as a result of that. So there's a certain amount of irony in the fact that campaigns today are as nasty as they are. I think there's a correlation back to those. So you um, you date it you date it to 1992 is when this all started. Is that I right mean, look right? at Car look at how well Carville is the guy who who created the pivot. He's the guy who who um, came up with the. It, it was all about the economy, stupid. 
yeah. I mean, that, that that's an attack on a guy who, you know, all honestly probably the last gentleman president that we had. And and Bush you know, went. You, you don't count. Go, you don't count Barack Obama as a gentleman president. <laughs> that, that's a little shocking, Larry. <laughs> Larry, I appreciate the call, and I'm teasing you there a little bit. But uh, but I but I hear what you're saying, and and uh, I want to get the, our guests here to respond to it. Uh, is this a, is this a vintage 1992? issue in American politics or is it something you know what was to me what was different uh, what's been different about this whole campaign is that you know we know both sides do opposition research right and they get dirt on each other and they release it but the major candidates tried to keep their hands clean as much as possible Donald Trump goes down and dirty. I mean, he, you know, the the event that he held before uh, before the debate where he, you know, plays, uh, uh, you know, so to speak, his Trump card, no pun intended, you know, brings out these four women and parades them in front of the camera. You know, candidates don't do that kind of thing, usually. So the turning point, so James Carville was definitely known for his hardball tactics, but he kept Bill Clinton on the issues. He invented the pivot to be to be sure, you know, where you kind of triangulate, you don't discuss the issue that somebody wants to talk about, you discuss whatever you, you talk want what to. You want to talk what, about, whatever. Sure. And you know, that's kind of standard part and parcel of our political culture. But this was not. I mean, so this is I think something qualitatively different where the candidate himself starts smearing dirt on his opponents, uh, you know, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Lee Wilkins, I'm always I'm always a little suspect of people who say, well, I can trace it to this election and it's something recent. Uh, go back to the election of 1800, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, and and John Adams, not John Adams, but uh, Burr. Aaron Burr uh, running against one, one another and, and saying unbelievable things about each other's mothers and uh, families and all kinds of stuff. Uh, this is not new, I don't think, in, in American politics. It's not new in American politics. I think there are a couple of newish things about it. So the caller traces this back uh, to 92. For me, it goes back to some extent four years before with the Willie Horton ad, which I believe in many ways. That's 1988. There you go. Is is notorious. The difference here is the impact of political advertising, which really wasn't a major part of campaign lore until Dwight Eisenhower in 1952. And ever since then, I think political advertising has been taking a larger and larger and larger role in how we perceive candidates. The second, I think, is is a little bit more recent, is, is the advent of the internet, where it is possible to segment, niche, whatever word you want to use, your audience. So there are things that I, as a consumer of mainstream media, will generally not see because it's been niched on an internet site that I don't go to. The candidates, and here I think President Obama um, invented some really interesting stuff, um, have learned how to take full advantage of that. One of the things that does is it bypasses me as a journalist. So I can say on my website something that goes literally unchallenged, unfact-checked, and unnoticed, except by a very core group of people 
that I want to reach. That's become a very difficult part of political discourse for we journalists to get our hands around because there's so much messaging out there. It's really not possible to access all of it and to work it into what we would normally consider more routine campaign coverage. Certainly, a lot of these channels, as Sheikha mentioned, are still generally campaigns use them in a more structured way. Donald Trump has sort of broken that mold because he will go off on flyers, he'll go off on tangents, he will post himself on Twitter at three o'clock in the morning about Miss Universe, um, which, by the way, he defended last night. He said Twitter is a powerful way for him to to reach out to people, citing his millions of followers, and said he was uh, uh, what could be a famous line, not unproud of what he uh, <laughs> <laughs> what he said about wonderful phrasing. On by the way. Now, <laughs> unfortunately, I get those tweets because somehow I wound up on Donald Trump's. Um, list and I have not taken myself off of it because I look on it as they think you're a potential voter. Well, I am a potential (laughs) voter and an actual voter, but that's kind of beside the point. Um, But it's it's one of the ways that I sort of watch, try to watch this campaign and be a little bit analytic about it. And I don't I don't think I'm I'm alone in in that and in how I'm trying to look at that and understand it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back and continue the conversation about the debate last night, plus Donald Trump's leaked tapes of him talking very, very uh, awful, uh, saying very awful things about women. Uh, and we want to keep you on the phones. Lots of folks want to chime in on this issue. Robert in Wald Lake wants to defend Donald Trump. We'll get to him next. And if you want to join the conversation, 313 577 1019. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. My guests this hour are Jonathan Osting, a political reporter at the Detroit News, Sheikha Dalmia, a senior analyst at the Reason Foundation, writer for Reason Magazine, and Lee Wilkins, professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. We're talking about last night's presidential debate, number two of three, but also just one of one, I think, in history. Uh, nothing comparable to what we saw last night in terms of the performance of Donald Trump uh, just days after a tape was leaked of him saying really, really awful things about women, really just uh, embracing the idea that sexual assault is okay. Uh, you want to join the conversation, talk about last night's debate, talk about what your takeaways were from it, talk about what you thought about uh, what this says about American politics, not just for this cycle, which is only a few more weeks uh, before it's over, but for American politics going forward. <laughs> Lee Wilkins <laughs> sort of nodding to the idea that we only have a few more weeks left and then we can all rest. Uh, but of course, politics will be changed, I think, uh, by this campaign. And last night's debate, I think, is one of the things that is helping to change it. Uh, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. Dolores in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Hello. Hi, Dolores. Hello. How are you? You want me to say something now? Uh, sure, absolutely. Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm Dolores, and I'm eighty-seven. So you know, I've seen a lot of debates, sure. and I wanted to let you know that I found most offensive last night 
Donald's, uh, what is his name, whatever his name is, Donald Trump. Uh, performance, yes. <laughs> because he wouldn't keep moving. He wouldn't stand still. He just kept moving, going behind uh, Miss Clinton, beside her. And I didn't know if that was a deliberate strategy, but I found it was very disrespectful. Huh. And I felt that constant moving had a way of trying to distract what we were supposed to be listening to and how much attention he was going to allow her to have wow. without being disrupted. You know, Dolores, I'll have to say that while I, when I was watching uh, the, the debate last night, I also noticed Donald Trump moving around a lot. That's not what I. Uh, that's not what I took away from it. All right. And and, and I, that doesn't mean that I'm right or, or 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 that you are are wrong. I think it's a, a matter of uh, of sort of how you see those things. But that's a really interesting point. And I think, uh, uh, you know, there's a gender dynamic here at work, right? Uh, in in terms of perhaps how I would see something like that, and maybe the way you would. Um, well, if you want to. Um not use my statement, I won't be offended. <laughs> no, 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 your statement's on the air. <laughs> I found it disrespectful. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important, uh, that's a really important statement. I want to get the panel to react to that. She could go ahead. So, you know, uh, what was interesting about the theatrics was, I think, uh, I don't think Donald Trump was trying to dominate, uh, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton and put her at a, at a uh, disease. He was, you know, he's this alpha male and he can't help himself. That's how he projects. And the problem is that comes across very, very poorly with women who every woman out there who's in the workplace meets one man like that who who kind of, you know, goes on this, uh, this tear where she feels belittled, she feels diminished, she feels bullied. And uh, that's that's how Don Donald Trump came across. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Lee Wilkins. My favorite tweet that came across this morning is, "I am a Muslim, and there is a man stalking a woman on the stage in Missouri." Wow! <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is quintessentially American in the sense that it's using humor, which we do a lot, to make a political point. Yeah. Uh, as a member of the female persuasion who was watching <laughs> that last night, did you think that that same? Sense? I, I, I felt, I felt mm, threatened in the sense that he's uh, he's a large man and he walked around in such a way that if I were out walking on the streets here in Midtown <laughs> and someone was walking near me with that sort of behavior, yeah. I would be feeling. I would be feeling threatened. I think there is a gender dynamic here that Dolores has done a great job of pointing out, but yeah. I felt it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't Go pick ahead, up Jonathan. necessarily on that either, but I did hear a lot of people talking about it, that it appeared he stood behind her in some shots, appeared intimidating. Uh, I think it goes back to, like Sheikha said, it wasn't intentional, but Donald Trump uh, has made a point of uh, being proud that he doesn't spend as much time preparing for debates as Hillary Clinton does, um, and uh, maybe wasn't as familiar with the format of how the cameras were going to work and ended up uh, with some bad optics. Yeah, I mean, there's some coaching that usually goes on inside campaigns to talk about how you handle yourself, for instance, in the first debate behind a podium. In the second debate in this town hall format, there is a little more freedom to move around. Typically, your handlers get you prepared to, to be able to, to, to react to that in a way that's not odd. 
uh, or threatening. And, you know, maybe this falls into the category of yet another thing that that Donald Trump is uncoachable uh, with regard to. Um, Let's go to uh, Robert in Wald Lake. Robert is a uh, Donald Trump uh, supporter. Uh, Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Um, Well, I wouldn't say a Donald Trump supporter, just a Republican supporter, conservative, Uh um, but he is the guy that's running and I'm standing behind him. Okay. Um, So I, you know, I tuned in this morning, um, I'm on the way to the post office, but all I hear about last night's debate is, you know, we don't talk about policy. We don't talk about anything real. We talk about all the stuff that doesn't matter. Well, this morning, all we've talked about is a, la- uh, a video or um, audio from 11 years ago. How does that have any point in what we're trying to accomplish today in America? We're talking about 11 years ago. If I went back 11 years from today, I was in the military. I had language that I used that would be, you know, 10 times worse than what Trump said. Really? Okay? You, you, talked, you would talk like Donald Trump about sexually you know, assaulting women? In the same fashions, maybe not in the same fashions, okay? But... I don't put it past myself 11 years ago. I was a totally different person in a totally different time. I was in the military. Okay, It wasn't locker room banner. It was we're out in deployment, and this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If a woman was by, I bet you she wouldn't. She would probably think, wow. But, 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 but Robert, let me, Robert let me ask you. Let me ask you seriously. You don't see a substantive and important difference between – dirty talk among guys about women that they might find uh, fanciful and saying that it's okay to force yourself on a woman. You don't, I mean, you don't see the substantive difference there. I I do. I do. I do see the difference. And you know, I don't think it's right to force yourself on anyone. It's not right. And, And and I think the question is, is that a characteristic that's acceptable in somebody who wants to be the leader of this country, and by extension, the leader of the free world. And I would ask you this. If it was 11 years ago and he said that I would still think that's okay today, I would think that that's a point. But now he says that that was different. He says it was locker room banner. If it was or wasn't, I'm not arguing that. But he did apologize. He did come out and say, I'm sorry. When Hillary says that he doesn't apologize for anything, he stood on stage last night and apologized. Said that that was not I right of him. Oh, right. he apologized so last night, Robert. What were you watching? He never did that. But he thank never you. Did that. He never said he never said he was sorry last night. Not one time. He absolutely did. He, uh, he, he said he, he was sorry to the American people. He, he did. He did he, apologize. He, he, he made a pro forma apology and then went on to, you know, Bill Clinton did it too. <laughs> right. You know, that was the that right. was the form of his apology. But do you know? Jump in over here. Um, first of all, you know, when Donald Trump made these statements, he was not a young, out of high school graduate who still you know, in the middle, you know, you can chalk it to youthful indiscretions. He was a 59-year-old man. Second of all, he has a pattern of this behavior. I mean, this was not the first story about his mistreatment of women, actually, that even came out last week. There was a story that AP did, uh, I think, about how he treated uh, contestants on The Apprentice, where he would, in front of the women, talk to the male contestants about, you know, which one, which ones they would like to, you know, the F word. Um, So this is, you know, part, part of a pattern. And as for the issues, you know, I actually, you know, I think women are interested in hearing the issues over here. Women, you know, who are not 
who haven't yet made up their mind either way are troubled by two things i mean one thing you know uh, when they have daughters they warn the daughters uh, or they worry about the daughters precisely about the kind of predatory male that donald trump represents on the other hand women also have sons and they are very you know they are very very worried about this lack the censorious culture that's developing on the left where you know a woman accuses a guy of having raped her and that you are supposed to simply believe the woman and Donald Trump if he really wanted to talk about the issues he could have pivoted to that because that is genuinely Hillary's a uh, weak point you know she talked last year about how uh, every uh, you know victim of assault needs to be taken seriously and yet and yet there she was you know uh, defended Kathy Shelton's rapist and got him off the hook and we needed to talk about that that she did she could have said that she protected this guy's due process rights and he was entitled to that that would have helped her with certain kind of women and she could have uh, brought out donald trump's uh, predatory behavior donald trump could have put her on the spot about you know how she has not right. fully taken due process rights yeah. into concern uh, i will say ahead, donald trump did attempt uh, did attempt to to pivot a little bit and talk about uh, in fact when he was first asked about those comments he went straight to isis, isis. Right. Yeah. um but but, uh, no, but, but anderson cooper brought no, him but that him was back a non sequitur yeah. right sure that's, and that's not, and, sure. and let's be clear that doesn't count as an apology if you say well right. i did that but ISIS is chopping off people's heads. That's not apologizing for your own yeah. misconduct. Sure. I will say Hillary Clinton, I do think, um, didn't give a great answer on emails again and right. also um, went back Absolutely. to the 2005 comments to try and get away from a further explanation right. of that. And also, I was surprised that Donald Trump didn't hit her harder on the WikiLeaks revelations that came out this weekend, uh, which are potentially, I think, could have sunk Hillary Clinton in the primary if they had come out then. Sure. Uh, these Wall Street speeches, these paid speeches that she refused to release well her campaign put together an extensive list of potentially damaging comments and that list then was released this weekend um her talking about open borders and free trade and her uh, even support for TPP which of course she now has come out against um if if those 2005 comments hadn't surfaced i think that's what everyone would be People talking would about this weekend right. yeah go ahead lee a couple of things um I think it's reasonable in American politics to talk about as an issue whether or not we have open borders whether or not we have free trade and to say that a mere mention of that as a policy question is damaging is I think a deep indicator of where our political discourse has gone. We've lost the ability to have nuance. We've lost the ability to have a discussion about these issues that have been important to this country in one form or another that I at least am aware of for more than 100 years. So so we we've taken a whole bunch of stuff off the table and to speak to the comment that Robert made which I which I take not only just at face value but as very genuine and instead of discuss, discussing those issues which are political and germane we're down to this sort of difficult line between public and private behavior and what you did and what you said and what you intended um and i think that 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 what we've done is is we've had this 
what I view as by and large reprehensible talk drive out the better talk that we could be having about a lot of issues. And we don't appear to be able to put the brakes on it ourselves. But I I think Robert makes a very legitimate point about the lack of discussion of political, economic, and social issues that influence all of us. And and that's part of, Stephen, where you started about what the nature of this particular debate became yeah. all about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's go. Uh, we've got another call I want to get to for sure right after Robert. Terry in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Hey, I have um, my, uh, well, I've got several comments. So first, let me just say that Donald Trump's behavior was absolutely menacing last night. It was deliberate. That was deliberate. The guy is a predator. He has no respect for women. To say that this is locker room banter when you when you speak the way he did um, is unacceptable. It's beyond reprehensible. It's unacceptable. Let me just remind everyone that we had 11,000 untested rape kits in Detroit. They had over 2,000 untested rape kits in Toledo, over 3,000 down in New Orleans. You can go across America, city by city. We don't take sexual assault against women serious enough. The majority of people in the justice system in the United States of America are white men. And if you want me to believe that this is how they talk in the locker room and it stays in the locker room, I don't accept it. I don't believe it. And in 2016, we should be beyond this. And for Robert to call in and say he's a conservative Republican and he's going to continue to support a person who's part of this kind of a, um, a, a mindset is it's incomprehensible. It's just incomprehensible. And um, um, the last point I wanted to make was that, um, um, no, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> no, that was Terry, no, Terry, that, that was, was outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for the call. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I think the, the, the contrast between Robert and Terry and their, and their comments really does speak to the chasm that has opened up in this country between not just between right and left, I think it is. It, it, it is a far more complicated. It's not just a chasm that has opened up in the country. It actually shows you all the fissures and the tension points within the Republicans themselves at this time, right? Sure. I mean, one, they are trying, to, you know, their natural constituency, at least Trump's is kind of like the white male who feels victimized, you know, by the last uh, 8, 10, 12 years. On the other hand, they are family values conservatives. They are social conservatives. They worry about, uh, you know, the discourse, the coarsening of the discourse in the culture. And they don't know which side of the divide they are to come down on with Donald Trump. Should they they go for, you know, not care about the kinds of things that Terry just mentioned, um, uh, you know, and uh, simply excuse Donald Trump's bad behavior to go for the male vote, or they, you know, or they double down and they, you know, try and maintain some standards. And you can see this existential conflict kind of playing out in Pence, even as we speak. Right, right. Terry, this is Lee, and you speak for me with the exception of the fact that as I hear Robert, I'm trying very hard to understand what he thinks and 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 how he he arranges that logic. But as an obvious member of the female persuasion who <laughs> was not allowed to even vote in this country until 1920, I don't think this is about Republican or Democrat any more than I think that our discussions about race and ethnicity are about Republican or Democrat. This is about our culture and our political culture. It's something that we've been dealing with for centuries. 
American democracy is a work in progress. And right now we're at this place where it's a very hard slog because some things that have either been glossed over or have not become real to many people are all of a sudden becoming real. I very, very much appreciate the comment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take another quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about last night's debate. And of course, we are going to continue on the phones. Lots of folks want to talk about this subject. No surprise there. 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. My guests are Jonathan Osting, a political reporter at the Detroit News, Sheikha Dalmia, senior analyst at the Reason Foundation, writer for Reason Magazine, and Lee Wilkins, professor and chair of the Department of Communications at Wayne State University. We're talking about last night's presidential debate, Donald Trump's apparent meltdown uh, in the wake of the tape released of him talking about uh, sexual assault of women as though it's just a normal thing that uh, that men can and do do. Uh, you want to join the conversation? What did you draw away from the presidential debate last night? And what do you think it means for politics going forward? I have said many times that I think this campaign is changing American politics in a pretty fundamental way. Last night, of course, I think uh, is a very important data point in that narrative. 313-577-1019. If you want to join the conversation, that's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Danny in Dearborn. Welcome to Detroit Today, Danny. Hi, how are you guys? Good, how are you? Hi, um, I wanted to talk about, there was a young woman last night that asked Donald Trump a question about Islamophobia. (laughs) And to me, what I got out of it was his response was totally Islamophobic. I mean, he pushed this almost like conspiracy theory that, you know, Muslim Americans know who all the terrorists are and that, you know, they're sympathizers with them almost like they should police themselves. I mean, then his response too. I mean, if you go to Donald Trump, website, he still has a statement out on how he wants to ban all Muslim immigration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Danny, I I thought that was a really, really interesting part of the debate as well, Uh, the discussion about uh, his immigration policy. And and there again, he had an opportunity, I think, to try to clarify, to try to back away. No real sign of that happening. Well, Um, what Trump did was he went back to his talking points, which play well with supporters. But as we talked about earlier in this debate, he does need to reach out to the middle ground if he's going to win this election. So what he said is, yeah, Islamophobia, it's terrible. But uh, here's what I have to say about uh, I mean, he basically said to that woman, you know, you're fearful for your rights as an American. But Muslims are terrorists, right. and and so we've got to deal with it that way. I thought it was a very strange answer to that to that that but, question. You know, uh, which is uh, goes to Donald Trump's problem uh, problem with uh, outreach to minorities. It wasn't just that question; it was also the, I think that was the penultimate question where the black gentleman asks him about, you know, will you be a leader who's devoted to the well-being of the entire country? I was really struck by Donald Trump's answer. He said yes. And Hillary won't be because she's a hateful person. And I am going to rebuild inner cities, you know, as if 
the, you know, if you're black, then you live in inner cities and all you are concerned about is inner cities. I mean, and, you know, this man, I mean, he's got such a tin ear for yes. where the conversation in America is on these questions. That it's absolutely astounding. Yeah. Uh, Shika, we, we've had you on the show before and, and anyone who uh, reads your work knows that you're you're a libertarian uh, right. and that uh, uh, this is a this election presents you with a very a very odd Look, set of choices it, right? no, it does and you know here's the thing i mean to me what's great about american democracy and the great about american political process is you know we all have our ideological pers- uh, persuasions which give us certain intellectual blind spots right there are issues we are interested in and we we are concerned in and we don't pay sufficient attention to the other side's issues this is a time when we kind of duke it out and put everybody's concerns on the table. Take civil rights, for instance. As a libertarian, I'm very interested in civil liberties of everybody. I'm interested in the civil liberties of accused terrorists, and I'm interested in the civil liberties of accused rapists. Now, accused rapists, uh, civil liberties, Republicans tend to be concerned about that. Uh, You know, Muslim civil liberties, Democrats need to be uh, are usually concerned about that. I would like both sides to talk about that, or right. that's where I want the conversation to be. Instead, we have fear mongering by Donald Trump, tearing you know everything down, dragging everybody to the into the mud. Hillary Clinton is trying to elevate herself from you know from this, and she's unable to because you know this is where our conversation is. Yeah, uh, let's go to Nathan. In Detroit, Nathan, welcome to Detroit today. Are you there, Nathan? You got to turn your radio down, bud. Hi, I, I, how's <laughs> everyone you. doing? All right, <laughs> I love your show, show uh, Mr. Henderson. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just uh, wanted to basically, yeah, just kind of give give my, my give my take on what I noticed uh, yesterday's debate. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I, I just want to congratulate Hillary Clinton just for one, you know, just for being able to stick through some of those, I think, really tough, tough um, comments, you know, and, and, you know, comments that Trump made, uh, you know, so, and even the fact that she didn't, you know, kind of like pill over and, right. and fall sick. I know, I, I know a lot of people are kind of hoping that she would, you know, probably drop dead or something, you know, you know, all these rumors about her being sick. For sure. But just back to the issues, I think that Hillary, um, for one, I'm just really one thing is kind of alarming just for me in general is that seeing how Hillary knows how to dodge questions. We, you know, we, like we jump on Trump about dodging things and this and that, but you have four women that Bill Clinton allegedly raped, and also we know that he settled a case with with another one of the women, and she totally dodged that. She didn't even talk about it. We want to talk about rape culture. We want to talk about Trump's words. Well, Bill Clinton's actions, we see what he did to these women. He destroyed these women. And, of course, he's not running for president, but Hillary Clinton went right up behind him and attacked these women, verbally threatened them. At the same time, she says that she's an advocate for women. Yeah, I mean, uh, Nathan, I hear a lot of people 
Seriously? I hear a lot of people asking that that very question. I don't think Donald Trump sort of effectively raised it. It's last a double night. standard. Yeah, yeah. Nathan, thanks very much for your uh, for your call uh, and your comments. Uh, let's go to Cindy. Cindy in Belleville. Welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Stephen. Um, I listen to your show every morning, and I have many comments, but I don't have my own radio show, so I'll just <laughs> stick to the ones um, I wanted to make. Well, well, first of all, um, you said that the uh, answer to the Muslim wo- woman was um, an odd one. Um, which of his answers aren't odd and bizarre? <laughs> um, right? I didn't two, distinguish enough. <laughs> yeah. And number two, I was really glad about the woman who brought up the point of when the um, the uh, black gentleman asked a question, Donald Trump immediately assumed he was from the inner city and poor. Yes. Uh, but the main reason I called was, it was interesting when Dolores, 87-year-old Dolores, called in and observed his demeanor of how he kind of stalked her in this menacing way. Mm-hmm. And even you, Stephen, said, well, I think that wasn't intentional. Um, no, all the no. men on the show said, well, you know, maybe he's, it, he's not familiar with the debate. And I think that comes from not being a woman. Well, well, Cindy, to be clear, I, I'm not. Side, yeah, Cindy, I'm not. I'm not arguing with you about the point you're making. But but what I said was I didn't take that away from what he was doing. I I saw him doing what he was doing. It didn't uh, strike me as uh, sort of intentionally menacing. And I I, I I don't know. And I think you're right. It has everything to do with with your perspective, right? Uh, the experiences you have in life, having, you know, uh, either dealt with that kind of thing or not. Yeah, if you're a woman, um, smaller in stature to a man that size who is portraying that kind of body language, I'll tell you what, my every self-defense training I've ever taken (laughs) would have kicked in. Would have kicked in. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Cindy. Thanks very much uh, for the call. Uh, Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, You know what? um, Donald Trump, I mean, the the man is what he is. 59 years old, that's no youthful indiscretion. (laughs) And I mean, I've been in locker rooms. I'm an athlete, all right? I'll be 70 on my birthday, but I'm still an athlete. I've been in locker rooms since I was in the fifth grade. And I mean, I haven't made it to, didn't make it to the pro locker room or didn't make it to the corporate locker room, but I never heard any quote unquote, locker room banter yeah. such as Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, I think I think I think you're absolutely right, Tom. I mean, uh, there's no question that that men and women as uh, she could point out earlier uh, sometimes talk in in sort of lewd ways about about the opposite gender when they're in same-sex environments, but there's a real line between uh, that and the kind of assault that that Donald Trump was talking about. I mean, it's just there's just no comparison there. Uh, and so thanks and uh, for for calling and making that point again. Um, before we go, I want to mention that uh, Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton is in fact coming to Detroit today. She's going to speak at Wayne State University's Mathai Center at 2:45 p.m. Doors open for the event at 12.30 uh, p.m. Uh, so go out and take a look at the candidates for yourself. That's going to do it for us today. I want to thank Jonathan Osting, Sheikh Adamia, 
Lee Wilkins for being here. And of course, thank you guys for tuning in and for all the great calls today. This is 1019 WDET Detroit Wayne State's public radio station. I will be back tomorrow. Hope you will too.